Let's open the word of God to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Earlier this morning, I shared with you from Deuteronomy 6 and Mark chapter 12, how we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God has revealed himself in creation, so we can know a little bit of him there. He has revealed his law in our consciences, so we can know a little bit of him there. He's revealed more of his character and providence of the daily things in our lives, like sunshine, rain, and fruitful seasons, and food filling our hearts with food and and filling our hearts with food and gladness. We know more about him from the Bible. But the clearest image of God is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we come to John 11, I don't want us to be overly troubled by the details that are there because we want to see the Lord here in, in how he conducts himself and his spirit, his actions, and his words and find comfort. Listen to these words that open the book of Hebrews. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. Who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks expressly in the Bible and tells us so. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks in the Bible and doesn't tell us it's express because it takes a great deal more work to know exactly what he's saying. But Jesus is the express image, the perfectly detailed image of God. You will never see God. Even glorified, you're not capable of seeing God. God is an infinite, eternal, invisible, that's what the Bible says about him, God. No one has ever seen God. No one ever will see God. There isn't anything to see except his character. And his character is revealed through Jesus Christ. Amen. When Moses asked to see the glory of God in the book of Exodus, God spoke to him. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, faithful, forgiving iniquity and sin. That's seeing God. Because it's his character. What do you want to see? A fire enfolding upon itself? Like Ezekiel chapter 1? Let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have prayed and worked and I am now trying to help you determine what we ought to get out of John 11. Did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead after four days when he stunk? Yes. Can we get more out of it than that? I hope so. It's all centered around that, but let's get all that we can. John chapter 11. If you want to love God like we started with an hour ago, then you want to love the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is the express image of God and Jesus is the Son of God and God delights in His Son, Jesus. And so we want to delight ourselves in Jesus and by doing so, we delight ourselves in God. And so we fulfill what we started with. John chapter 11. I regret that we covered 27 verses so fast last Sunday. But we're going to go to verse 28 in a moment. I like verse 1 because it says, Now a certain man was sick. I'm sorry that I'm so simple. I could preach all day on verse 1. Because the whole Bible is certain men. Enoch walked with God. It doesn't say Enoch's mommy, Enoch's grandfather, Enoch's brother, Enoch's son, Enoch's neighbor, Enoch's employer, Enoch's king, 
It says Enoch walked with God, right. a certain man. Because I want to grip each one of you with being a certain man, a certain woman that loves God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Thou? I thought thou being a T, second person pronoun, means that it's singular. Right. It is singular. Amen. It's thee. If I say you, you don't know if I'm talking to you or the person over here. That's how pitiful English has become. A Y second person pronoun, you don't know if it's one person, two people, or two million. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Amen. Thee. Right. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Each one of us individually consider. I like that about verse 1. I like verse 4 that tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ and his purpose in life. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. We want to do everything to the glory of God. We want to see everything to the glory of God. Jesus did that. Let's follow him. Amen. This is what do you want to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ? Everything for the glory of God. The whole chapter is about the glory of God. Oh, this sickness isn't to death. Quit worrying about Lazarus. Quit worrying about his sickness. Quit worrying about him dying. He did absolutely die. But this sickness isn't unto death because I'm going to bring him back from death. So what kind of death is it when you stop dying and you end death and you come back to life? Right. <laughs> but for the glory of God. Amen. For the glory of God. Amen. Jesus lived for the glory of God. I must be about my father's business. And when he said that, how old was he? Give me a hand, anyone in here that's 12. Get it up higher. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I must be about my father's business. If he could do it at 12, can you do it at 12? You can. Let's do it. 12-year-olds have been gripped by God before. 12-year-olds have loved the Lord Jesus Christ before. Last Lord's Day, speaking to a group of men between services, I asked them at what age they first felt a tender spirit toward God, and several of them told me six. At 12, you're old stuff. You've been through that life twice. When did, were you first tender toward God? You knew there was a God, you loved Him, and you wanted to please Him. Of course you went astray. Lord, help us to be like that. Everything for the glory of God. I love verse 5 because it tells us Jesus has favorites. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. If Jesus just loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus equally to everyone else, then the verse has little to no meaning. They were favorites of his because of their unique and special faith toward him. They loved him, he loved them. Does the Bible tell us that if we love God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and keep His commandments, that the Holy Spirit will come to us, the Father will come to us, and the Son will come to us, and they will love us. As a result of what we have done toward them, does it say that in John 14, 21 and John 14, 23? Yes, it does. Because our relationship with God does not end with the legal or vital aspects. It can be extended into the practical phase of our salvation where our fellowship with God is increased. Enoch walked with God in a special way. Abraham walked with God in a special way, and we should. And so there's things that we can derive from these verses as we work our way into the chapter. But let's move ahead. I hope that you're not troubled by verses 9 and 10. It is a metaphorical explanation that while I have life and God is directing me, I am not in any danger. I can go back to Judea to raise Lazarus from the dead because the light is still shining on my life. A darkness was coming there and their power. Their, Jesus is going to say it in other places and we're going to get to them in this gospel. Right now, it's my day. I am going to work while it's daytime. The night cometh when no man can work. This is from John 9. I hope that you can remember it because that means we did it before. John 9. And then Jesus said, Theirs is the hour of darkness and it's coming. When God would give him over to Satan, to a measure, and to the Jews and the Romans. But verses 9 and 10 are just metaphorical. I can go back to Judea, apostles. Remember, 
Why? When he left Judea and Jerusalem in chapter 10, the last few verses, and he went to where John baptized in the beginning, was there a reason for him going there or just his fear? There was a reason. Right. Do you know what it says? It's the last verse. It's verse 42 of chapter 10. And many believed on him there. See, he's all, always a purpose. Jesus Christ followed prudence, though he was God in the flesh, to avoid unnecessary danger. But when there was a necessary need to face some danger, he would go. So he's going back because there's a need. Can you think of the name of the need? Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And so there's a good enough reason for him to go back. And did he accomplish the glory of God again? Did he accomplish the glory of God with healing the blind man in Jerusalem and outside in chapter 9? Did he accomplish the glory of God by men being converted and believing in John 10 while he was in Bethabara? Yes. Is he going to accomplish the glory of God in chapter 11 going back? Yes. Will he leave, will he leave there as soon as he heals Lazarus? Yes. He's going to go to Ephraim. He wasn't going to hang around because it wasn't his time yet. There was still work for him to do, and he went back to Ephraim. And we're going to read about it. I don't want verses 9 and 10 to bother you, though they are somewhat obscure at a first pass. Verse 15, I want you to remember, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Whose sakes? The apostles. You're going to need this. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Oh, so the apostles needed to be improved in their faith, increased in their faith. Yes, they did. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. I hope that you enjoyed the exchange between Martha and the Lord Jesus Christ that we covered last Lord's Day. It's in verses 25 and 26. They've had an exchange beginning in verse 20, and it concludes in verse 27 with Martha's wonderful statement to Jesus. We love the words of 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Amen. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Right. This is one of the cardinal doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is to believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to raise the dead, all 100 billion of them. It doesn't matter when they died, how they died, where their body was put, whether it was cremated or buried or lost at sea and consumed and corrupted and decomposed by salt water, it is coming back. And spirits will be put with those bodies and they will all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and sent to their eternal destiny. Believest thou this? We believe it. And we want to respond like Martha did. In verse 27, she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And if we go back in the Old Testament, we can find that the resurrection was believed in the Old Testament by those that were God's children. We read about it in Job chapter 19. We read about it in Psalms by David. We read about it by Asaph in Psalm 73. And so we come to verse 28. Let me begin reading at verse 28 and read a few verses here. And when she had so said, this is Martha and her wonderful declaration in verse 27. She went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. 
And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Now John has written this gospel for us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 20 of this gospel, he tells us, Jesus did many things. That if they were all written, the world could not contain the books that should be written. But I have written these things that are recorded here in this gospel account, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing he might have life through his name. So John 11 is given to us to believe. And most of us have heard this since we were very small children. And so we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. I, who, how, who knows how old I was the first time I heard my parents tell me that story. Lazarus, come forth. And we believe he came forth. We had pictures to prove it. That's jesting about a Bible storybook. Lazarus come forth and he came forth. Let's look at these verses and see if we can learn some things about our Lord. Verse 28, when Martha had so said, and she's the one under consideration, Martha went her way to Mary, who's back in the house in Bethany, saying, the master is come and calleth for thee. Do not say, I wish Jesus would call me to come, because Jesus called her to come. And so she went. We believe Jesus called for Mary by these words. Recording every such statement twice would have been redundant and made the Bible much larger than it already is. Unnecessary. And as soon as Mary heard that, in verse 29, she arose quickly and came unto him. That doesn't surprise us a bit, does it? That when she knows the Lord's ready to see her, that she has an audience with the Lord, she arose quickly and went to see him because she was definitely one that loved being with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 10, we find Mary at the feet of Jesus wanting to hear him speak. Martha's the one bustling around the house worrying about the things that didn't matter. Jesus told both of them that Mary's chosen the good thing. And Martha, you are just way too worried about stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, can you imagine fussing around in a kitchen for the Lord Jesus Christ after he had fed the 5,000 from a lad's lunch? What do you think you're going to fix him in your microwave? when he could multiply food the way he did. But Mary chose the good thing, and Mary's going to choose the right thing in chapter 12 because she's going to anoint the feet of Jesus in chapter 12. And she came unto him. It is wisdom and zeal to go to Jesus at the first urgings of conscience and conviction, lest they wane or stop. When you're convicted to go to the Lord Jesus Christ, run to him. If you're convicted to praise him, call someone. If you're convicted to sing, sing a song about the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're convicted, go do something with it. Because it's the urgings of the Holy Spirit leading you toward Christ. And we want to use those. She gets a word from her sister that the Lord's willing to see you. She's on her way. We want to be just like her. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town of Bethany, but was in that place where Martha met him. 
outside of town, very likely near the burial place, because when Mary left the house and went in a certain direction, they thought she was going to the grave. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, this is verse 31, the Jews that were with Mary in the house in Bethany and were comforting her, they had come from Jerusalem, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, she goeth into the grave to weep there. Jesus would have known where the Bethany Cemetery was. And so he was likely in that vicinity, though he didn't know which grave yet, because he's going to ask. Though he did know, of course. Verse 32, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. She spends a lot of time there, doesn't she? Saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. These three siblings loved each other. The Lord loved them, and they loved him. And so Mary, like Martha had done earlier in verse 21, says, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. They both did that to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ made a choice not to be there. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want to answer their prayer request because he was going to give them a bigger answer to prayer than they were requesting. They were just requesting him to be healed from his sickness. Jesus intends to raise him from the dead. And so you need to understand that sometimes the Lord may not answer your prayer request just the way you were looking for it to be answered, but his answer very well, if you'll see the big scope of things, is going to be better than what you prayed for. Because you're not able to pray for things like you ought to pray. So the Holy Spirit prays for us with content and with groanings and utterings that we can't muster. We should trust him that way. Because this this is an example of it right here. One of the things you ought to learn from John 11 is how to pray and how to take a no answer. How to take a things get worse answer. You know, when Jacob was wrestling with the Lord, it was bad enough that it was an angel against poor Jacob. But then the Lord, as an angel, touched Jacob's hip and put his thigh out of joint. Now that's the largest muscle group you have on your body. So now things have gone from bad to worse for Jacob. He was praying for deliverance from his brother Esau that was going to kill him. Now he's praying and he is messed up in his hip. His thigh's out of joint. So things have gone from bad to worse. I'm telling you the story again. I've told it many times to remind you that when you're praying, things can go from bad to worse for God's greater glory, and you should revel in that fact. Trust him. Trust him. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. We can rejoice at her humility and love to fall at the feet of her Savior and worship him which is entirely consistent with sitting at his feet and anointing his feet. Is your life consistent with this, Mary? You ignore others and other things to listen, worship, and anoint him? Some of you get troubled about the things of this life. So much so that none of us ever hear anything about Jesus Christ out of your mouths. Ever. Because all you think about is yourselves. You're going to have all eternity to think about yourself. Because if you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, there isn't a work of grace in your life. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, it will show by your actions, by your words, because your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength is his. It doesn't belong anywhere else. He wants it all. He's a jealous God and he deserves it all. Mary shows us such a person. Verse 33, when Jesus therefore, you know that therefore is an important logical word helping us come to a conclusion. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Let me take a few minutes here. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, And the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. We have three verses that we want to deal with about Jesus. Verse 33 that I've read to you twice. Verse 35 that is the shortest verse, Jesus wept. And verse 37. Verse 38. 
Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the cave. The grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. So notice verse 37 and 38. Jesus therefore again groaning in himself. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw Mary weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he groans again in verse 38. And he weeps in verse 35. There is in the part of some of us, on the part of some of us, a part of our view of Jesus Christ that does not want to demote him down to a weeping Lord. We want to defend him. Oh yes, let's use good words for it. We want to defend our Lord and Savior by saying that he wept in verse 35, groaned in his spirit in verse 33, groaned and was troubled in verse 37 because of all the pitiful Christians standing around him who did not stand up and take up the cross and start singing onward Christian soldiers. Been there, done that, and preached it. Not as bad as I could have, but worse than I should have. I got to tell it. It's okay. The first person that ever died as a member of this church was the mother of a woman sitting in this church who is now a mother herself. That spirit, which is not the spirit of Christ, nor the spirit of godliness, was in her father, and her father would not let her mourn or cry for her mother. And I am sorry that I wasn't here to defend you. We, our hearts haven't been changed by the grace of God if we do not understand these verses in a different way. Right. Let me try to help you. Does the Bible tell us that Jesus was touched and is not beyond all the feelings of our infirmities? Amen. Does it say that? Amen. Does it say all the feelings right. of our infirmities? Does it say that he was made of our nature so that he could be a faithful and merciful high priest? It does. In fact, you need to see them. I, I want to turn to as few as possible because turning is a distraction to many. And, and rightfully so. But you, you need to hear and see some of these. You, you want to know Hebrews chapter 4. Let's go there first. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's touched. He's troubled. He could easily groan and weep. I'm at Hebrews 4, 15. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Right. We, some of us want to think of defending the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man, that the God part of him so overruled the human part that he hardly has any human part left. But he has a significant human part left. So much so that he still has a body in heaven. He sits on a throne at the right hand of God. He is in subordination to God. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 that I reminded you of last Sunday. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched. That's a double negative, which means our high priest, our high priest is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain a harsh reminder of what kind of men we ought to be. A kick in the seat of the pants. What does it say in Hebrews 4.16? Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy 
and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, a child of God should have no need. With a God in heaven and Jesus on his throne, with his name written in the book of life, what need does a child of God ever have? I love you, brother. I'll be able to speak for both of us and a few more. Lord, have mercy. I hope you understand that I'm talking about a harsh spirit that we ought not to have. A village of the Samaritans did not receive the Lord Jesus Christ with enthusiasm. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came and pulled the Lord aside and said, Lord, we do not like the way they just treated you. May we call fire down from heaven like Elijah didn't burn them up. Can you see the Lord? He said, ye know not what spirit ye are of. No, we're not going to burn them up. It's, brother, at least we got apostles like us. But I'm different now. I'm older. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to show us your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 4, 15, and 16 settle it by themselves, but let's just keep looking here in the vicinity. How about chapter 2 and verse 17? Hebrews 2, 17, still talking with the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the theme of Hebrews, by the way? And why is it your pastor's favorite book in the Bible? Because it has one simple theme, the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not arguing with Jewish legalists. It is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than the prophets, the first two verses. Jesus is greater than the angels, the first two chapters. Jesus is greater than the priests because he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Jesus has better promises. Jesus has a better covenant. Everything about the Lord Jesus Christ is better. And Hebrews says it better than any other place in the Bible. But here we are, Hebrews 2.17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Jesus was made like you and like me. In how many things? In all things. There's only one thing accepted, and that's the sinful use of things. But in all things, our grief, our sorrow, our trouble, our fear, he was made like us. It says so. Wherefore in all things it behooved him. This made him the great man that our Lord Jesus Christ is. He is the God-man. He's God and he's man. But this made him a great man because he's in all points like as we are so that he can commiserate with us in every temptation we face. Right. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, just like you, just like me. That Why? That he might be a merciful. That he might be a drill sergeant that he might be a seal captain, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So we're tempted to grief at times. He was tempted to grief at times. Sometimes our grief goes too far and we sin. Because we lack in faith, his grief never went that far. Chapter 5 and verse 2 about, about a priest. This is a description of a priest who can have compassion on the ignorant. Who can bludgeon the ignorant? No, it doesn't say that. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. What does he have on them that are out of the way? Compassion. For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. I don't, I don't really need any more witnesses, do I? But I've got a few more. Like a hundred. I just have to manage my time. It is a desire in some to keep Jesus free from human sin or compromise with his humanity. Let us not deny his human nature. He was made of the same human nature as us to endure our temptations in every respect. The Spirit tells us that his groaning and trouble were a result of seeing Mary and others weeping. It says so. Gethsemane shows our Lord's emotional side that we should grasp. Does it tell us that he shed, as it were, great sweat, as it were, great drops of blood? Yep. Does the Bible tell us in Hebrews 5, describing that same event, that he had strong crying? Yep. The Bible tells us that. Did Jesus know why he was in the world? Did Jesus understand a little bit about the atonement on the cross? Oh, yeah. Did Jesus know that he was supposed to die on the cross? Did Jesus see the joy that was set before him and endure the shame? 
and despised the cross, did not bother him, but he still strongly cried about it. That's showing his two natures. He strongly cried about something that he fully understood that he was supposed to do. Can I show you a verse? I'm going to show you. It's John chapter, I think it's 12, 17. John 12, 17. It's John 12, 27. John 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled. Jesus admitting to his apostles, right now my soul is troubled. When we get to John 12, how close are we to the crucifixion? Why don't you go back to the first verse of that chapter? Then Jesus, six days before the Passover. Are we in one week to him, within a week to him dying? Yep. We're, we're in the final week of his life. And he says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. You say, that sounds like mixed emotions. Yep. Would you have... Do you ever have mixed emotions about obeying the Lord? Oh, yes. Should I admit to you that I, once in a while, have mixed emotions about obeying the Lord? But we do it with sin. He didn't sin. He knew that's why he was here, yet he was troubled, yet he could ask his father to save him from the hour, yet I know that's why I'm here, all in one sentence. Can he be with Mary and Martha and say, I am the resurrection of life? Your brother shall rise again and weep. Easy. Easy. He set his face to go to Jerusalem and saw the joy before him, yet he agonized about it. He wept. He begged God in the Garden of Gethsemane three times for that cup to be taken away from him. He knew and felt what was coming. And he begged for it to be taken away if there was any other way that he could redeem his elect. Any Catholic or Stoic Doctrine. These are the two doctrines that deny the real compassion of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to be aligned with either of them. Catholics deny that Jesus had compassion, like we're reading about here, because they want to give all the compassion to someone else. Who is the mediatrix that they want to give the compassion to? Mary. You don't want to deal with Jesus. He's too tough. He's too hard. You can deal with Mary. You can go to Mary. That's why we pray ten Hail Marys to one our Father. Because Mary's much more compassionate. I mean, she can get the will of God anytime she wants it. All she has to do is go over and unbutton her blouse and show Jesus the tits that he sucked down when he was an infant, and he'll give her anything that she wants. If you think that I'm making that up, you don't know anything about Roman Catholicism. That's exactly what they say. That's exactly what they teach. They are so sick in thinking about women and their childbirth and nursing experience. Listen, there was the first Mary altar that stood up in the Bible and when Jesus was preaching and said, blessed is the womb that carried you in the paps that you sucked. And Jesus, again, his whole life was, oh. Jesus said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Amen. There's nothing special. Junkyard dogs do it. There's nothing special in that, those acts in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep first things first. We don't want to be a Catholic like that and deny the Lord Jesus Christ's compassion in order to give it to Mary. We don't want to be a Stoic so that we can show that we're practicing will worship. Will worship is nothing bothers me. It should bother you. Who's the greatest man's man in the Old Testament? God's favorite. Killed Goliath. David. Did he weep? He said he made his bed to swim. Is that a lot of tears? Was he sympathetic? Was he empathetic? Was he merciful? Was he compassionate? Right. We want to be like him. We want to be like his son because they're both like each other. That's why Jesus is called the son of David. Stoics. He's the strong, silent type. Well, then he's not much of a Christian. Sorry. He's the strong, silent. Have you ever heard that? He's the strong, silent type. Where is that in the Bible? Silent? Right. See, he's not a tree of life to anybody. He's strong. He doesn't cry. Why doesn't he cry? David cried and God loved him. Timothy cried and Paul loved him. Why doesn't he cry? Jesus cried. Why doesn't he cry? Emotion's a wonderful thing. 
Lord, help us to use it for your honor and glory and the profit of others, the profit of ourselves by not bottling it up but letting it out. Does Jesus care about your tears? How important are your tears to the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of heaven? Does he have a bottle sitting on the mantle that, have your, that has your tears in his bottle? Does it say so in the Bible? Does it say that he has your tears written in his book? You mean he's got my tears in a bottle and he has them recorded in a book? Yep, he's got the numbers and he's got the, them actually in a bottle. Tears go in a bottle. Numbers don't go in a bottle. Tears don't go in a book. Numbers go in a book. He's got them. It's one verse. It is Psalm 56 and verse 8. If Jesus is the Son of God, then I would expect Jesus to be somewhat like God when it comes to emotion. Jesus loved Lazarus. Does it tell us that as we get started in this chapter so that we won't be surprised by what comes later? Does it tell us that Jesus loved Mary so that we won't be surprised by what comes later? Does it tell us Jesus loved Martha so we won't be surprised by what comes later? So when it says in verse 33 of John chapter 11 that therefore... When Jesus saw Mary weeping and those comforters that were with her weeping, that he wept and groaned in his spirit. The greatest saints in and out of Scripture weep at such events. Did David get messed up when Saul died? Did David trust the sovereignty of God? Did David believe all the verses about the Bible and the resurrection of the dead? Did he know where Jonathan had gone? Did he know that he was going to see Jonathan again? Why did he cry so bad? Because he was emotional. That's part of our human nature. Right. We should let it go for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Acts chapter 8 and verse 2, when Stephen, when Stephen died, do you know what it says? Devout men came and carried him to a grave, and great lamentation was made. <laughs> what kind of men? Devout men. Who wanted to bury Stephen? Were they believers or unbelievers? Believers. believers. And they made great lamentation over him. Was that a spirit-filled church at that point in time? Acts chapter 8 and verse 2. Was that pretty spirit-filled church? Were those men bold enough to go get the body from those murdering Jews? But they made great lamentation over him. If If there's ever been anyone that has had final words that told you that he was in heaven, it's this. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Does that mean a person's going to heaven when they talk that way in their final breaths? Yes. But they made great lamentation over him. I preached all of this to you one Wednesday night, and it was, it was called Funerals and Eulogies. And we used 2 Samuel chapter 1 about David and Saul as our main passage of Scripture. Did Jesus know that he was going to destroy the city of Jerusalem? Did the city of Jerusalem deserve being destroyed? Was it the right thing? Was it the fulfillment of prophecy? Was it going to be a terrible thing? Was, it going to, was the city going to be brought to desolation? Did they deserve to be brought to desolation? All those things are true. Why did he weep over the city? How many times in the Bible do we read about Jesus laughing? Jesus. None. How many times do we read about him weeping? Several. That'll help give us a good perspective. It's better to go to the house of mourning than it is the house of feasting. Jesus understood these things. Jesus practiced them. Jesus stood in Luke 19 and looked over the city of Jerusalem and wept over it. Say, it doesn't make sense. They deserve to be destroyed. Don't you have any compassion? Do you know how many children were running around in that city? Do you know what God Almighty said to Jonah when Jonah made himself a booth outside the city of Nineveh and got himself some marshmallows? and said, hurry up and drop that fire on these stinking Assyrians. Do you know what they've done to you and your people? Do you remember what was said? What the book of Jonah ends with. That there were 120,000 children in that city that didn't know their left hand from their right hand. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Lord, we submit. We humble ourselves. We've been trying to defend your integrity and we've been trying to defend your son's integrity in a way that was wrong. We have had the spirit of the sons of thunder, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Take it all away from us and give us the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us the spirit of David. Let me tell you something right now. The Lord Jesus Christ nor David ever had any mercy for those that were sinning. 
This God, this Lord Jesus Christ, and these apostles said, if a man does not work, neither should he eat. Right. Period. I love that God and that Lord Jesus Christ. They wept for real events. Every bit of righteousness in the Bible still stands. It is never compromised by emotion. But there is emotion when there are events like the king of Israel, the first king of Israel dying, and his son that was a bosom buddy of David's. There was reason to cry. The Bible tells us that we are to weep with them that weep. So Jesus was supposed to come along in John chapter 11 and say, grow up. I thought it said weep with them that weep. We don't weep with everyone that weeps because some people weep when they shouldn't be weeping. But when they have a legitimate reason to weep, we'll weep with them. We better weep with them. When Jesus saw grief and loss, he had compassion, like in the city of Nain. In Luke chapter 7, we find Jesus in the city of Nain, where a widow woman is following a funeral buyer with her only son. And he had compassion on her. That, that should cause compassion. And he went over to that funeral buyer, and he raised that son from the dead right there in his funeral parade. Jesus, as the Son of God, should reflect or exceed God in empathy and sympathy toward his brethren because he was made in all points like as we are, and God wasn't. Jesus is different. Jesus is the mediator between God and men. Amen. God was not tempted in all points like as we are. He can't be. Jesus was. Right. And so I gave you verses yesterday in the preparatory email, Exodus chapter 2, when those Israelites in Egypt, under the hard bondage of Pharaoh, were sighing and groaning. That sighing and groaning came up into the ears of God and he had respect unto them. He didn't send them a messenger, grow up, stop your whining. They were in difficult circumstances. And I gave you some other passages of Scripture. How about Psalm 103 where it says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that love him. In all their affliction he was afflicted. Isaiah 63 and verse 9. Jeremiah 31 and verse 20, my heart is troubled within me. That's God speaking. If God's that way, his son is certainly even that way and more. Was Jesus a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? grief? Does the Bible tell us that? Yes. Oh Lord, give us the full measure of your son that we do not distort him at all. This is one of the chief reasons we have John 11 right now is to cure us. You want to call yourself a manly type of guy? Do you know what Jesus would call you? You don't know what spirit you're of. Do you know what David would call you? You son of Zeruiah. You're too hard for me. There's never been a better man a man's man than David. But those nephews of his, those three brothers, the sons of Zeruiah, his sister, Joab, Abishai, Asahel, ye sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. You should all be mourning Abner today at this funeral. I am this day made king, but I am weak. You have weakened and sickened me on the inside because you do not understand proper judgment. Is that enough on that subject? we got to get to a guy in grave clothes coming out so that we can see our first hint at the Shroud of Turin. <laughs> Verse 33, Jesus groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He was troubled as he went to the cross for himself. The next chapter is going to tell us that. We shouldn't be alarmed by any of this. And said, where have you laid him? Because you know what he wants to do. i got to get this show on the road. Everybody's weeping. I'm weeping. This is emotional. Being at a funeral is not all that happy. And I came here for some happiness. I came here to raise the dead. I came here for the glory of God. Where did you put him? Are you with me here? Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. With an exclamation point in verse 36. Verse 37, Jesus corrected them by saying, are you kidding me? I'm weeping because you guys don't believe. No, that's not what it says. I'm trying to still draw the point to make a point to all of us. And some of them said, Could not this man 
which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus is realizing they're seeing the grief as his consequence for not getting there fast enough, and he knows their grief is the result of him not getting there fast enough because he has another purpose in mind. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. That's verse 38. Verse 39, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Here's one of the details. Where is it? Where did Jesus say that? It doesn't give it to us in those words. But Jesus has said several things. Messengers came from Martha and Mary that were very personally attached to her and came to Jesus. And in verse 4, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. On his way back to Bethany, he said in verse 15, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. In verses 25 and 26, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He has said these things in different places, and they're combined right here. Martha, you're telling me not to open the tomb? Didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you're going to see the glory of God? Haven't I been hinting at this over and over for the last four days? That if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? That's our explanation for that. We don't, have, we don't have a direct quote of one verse coming here. We have several statements that were made that she would have known about. Some of them were stated directly to her. Some were stated to messengers sent from her to Jesus. Verse 41, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Of course, you can see that the words from the place are in italics, which means they're in no modern versions, Greek or English. And the words where the dead was laid are in no modern versions either. And we like the fact that it says from the place where the dead was laid because Lazarus was in the grave. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus refers to an earlier prayer that he had made that God would get glory out of this event. He knew that God always heard him, but he had prayed about this matter before he got to this moment so that those that were presently standing around him, Martha, Mary, messengers, and apostles. Remember in verse 15, he had told his apostles, let us go now to Lazarus because I'm going to show you something to help you believe. And what he's praying here is, Father, that little prayer that I offered back there, I knew that you heard me. I knew that you always heard, hear me. Notice he doesn't say in verse 42, I know that thou hearest me. He is not talking about a present tense prayer. He is talking about a past tense prayer. He said, I, I knew that thou hearest me when I made that prayer. We don't know exactly where the prayer was. The prayer could be in verse 4. The prayer could be in verse 15. The prayer could be in verses 21 through 27. The prayer could be when he groaned and was troubled in spirit in verse 33. Except it's got to come out because it had to have been heard because he wanted to attach himself to his Father in heaven so that when he raised Lazarus from the dead, there could be no excuse he did it by the power of Beelzebub. Okay? That's what he was accused of. So he had prayed before this because he's not going to go to the mouth of the tomb and say, Father, would you please give life to Lazarus? He is going to go to the mouth of the tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth because I am the resurrection and the life. But I do nothing but what I was commissioned to do by my father. So, Father, I prayed to you, and I know you always hear me, but I said it, and I prayed it out loud for those that are presently standing, notice, presently standing around me will believe. If you think that John 11 is just envisioning a guy in grave clothes coming out after three words, Lazarus come forth, there is so much more in expository preaching, and I hope that you'll pray for your pastor at all times and realize that there are little details that bother and drive him crazy. 
I have a wife that is the opposite. And sometimes she is subjected to cruel and unusual punishment by having to hear about technical little details in a passage and all she wants to hear is, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) And he that was dead came forth and she'll tell me that. And she tells me that over and over. And the last couple of weeks she has told me that over and over and over. I'm glad the Lord made me the way he did because all I care about in that chapter is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And I said, I wish, I wish that's all I cared about because there's technical details. Those of you that have read this chapter carefully, you, I've just hit a few of them, haven't I? Is verses 9 and 10 a little difficult? Rather obscure, 9 and 10? Yeah, it is. And so is this a little obscure here. Said I not unto thee in verse 40? When did he say that? Verse 41, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. When did he hear him? I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Perfect tense. An action completed in the past, still present in the true. It was a previous prayer. Got to assume it. We just go right on. And when he had thus spoken, because he tells us why he spoke and did the things the way he did, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. Let there be light. And there was light. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. Ezekiel 16, live. What did that baby do? That baby lived. Jesus Christ is going to come back and say, come forth. 100 billion bodies will be recomposed and put back together. Their spirits will join up with them. And the majority of them will be sent to an eternal hell. And a multitude that no man can number by Bible terminology will be taken into heaven. A hundred billion. The life-giving voice of the Son of God, I am the resurrection of life. Jesus knew that that was a big thought to get a hold of, so he said, and and resurrection, regeneration is a big thought to get a hold of, but in John chapter 5, Jesus said, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life. They that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Let me make another pitch, because I'm just going to keep right on pitching it. Who gets to go to heaven in John 5, 28 and 29? Who gets to go to heaven in John 5, 28 and 29? They that do good. Who goes to hell? They that do evil. It's that simple. It's the evidence of eternal life. Stated over and over and over and over again. We are not fatalists in this church. We never will be. We're never going to put anybody in heaven that doesn't belong there. How are we going to know who belongs in heaven? By changed lives. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. How many pieces of burial cloth were there? What was the method of the Jews? One or two? Two. Bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Or more. And his face was bound about with a napkin. In a Jewish burial, can you get the image of the man's face on the same piece of cloth that his body's image is on? No. We have it here for Lazarus. We're going to have the same thing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. When they went into that tomb after Jesus rose from the dead, his grave clothes are laid in one place and the napkin that was around his face was laid in another place and the Holy Spirit wants us to know that so you don't need to take any science classes to figure out about the Shroud of Turin. All you need to know is the Roman Catholic Church has told more lies than any other church in the history of the world and that the Bible tells them that they're a liar. That's all you need. And so we have a document to that effect on our website. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Four days dead. It happens so fast when your heart stops beating. The fluids in your body, the life, the life in your blood changes so fast. You have 30 trillion cells in your body and 37 trillion bacteria in your body. As soon as that life in the blood stops circulating in that body, 
That bacteria takes over your body and it stinks and it stinks fast and it stinks terribly. A man wrote me this week related to at least one of you. A man wrote me this week who owns lower end and has operated lower end hotels in another state and told me that about once a year a customer dies and one they didn't find for a couple of days. Died on a Saturday. By Monday, the other end of the hall could not exist. And taping himself all up with plastic to cover every bit of himself, he went in and found it all covered with maggots. And made his way to the window and put in a box fan to get the air out of that room lest it corrupt the whole place. Just a couple of days. Lord! He's been dead four days. He stinks. Oh, yes. That man wrote me because he was thrilled. Great big capital letters. Great big letters. Look at our Jesus. Look what Jesus did. He wasn't going to let there be any doubters. He hung around and delayed coming for four days to make sure he was a stinking mess. I love it. The man wrote me and said, I have to have Kleenex. 45 years old or so, I have to have Kleenex. Listening to you preach out of John 11. Well, all he had to do was write me that and I needed my own. <laughs> because we better all. And then I shared that with a brother that told me we need to cry more often. Right. Let's cry more often. Tears of joy, tears of sorrow. Let's rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's love him with all we have. Let us love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And his son, Jesus Christ. That's how he shows himself to us. I wanted to show you passages from the Old Testament that show God sympathetic and empathetic. He had respect under their groanings. He had respect under their sighing. He he keeps your tears in a bottle. That's before there was a God-man. That's a great God that we serve. Amen. May the Lord be praised. Amen. Stay with me.